millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to day eight of the Eurocopa podcast sponsored by Sling Latino. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thanks for joining us. In order to review today's games, as well as preview Monday's games, I am joined by Karthik Krishnaya, Robert Hay, and making his Eurocopa pod debut, Juan Arango. Juan, I've been following your work via Twitter for some time now, so it's actually a pleasure to have you on the show and hear your voice in person. Tell us a little bit about your work, Juan. I'm surprised you haven't cursed me out already. Not but yet. Anyway, we, that, that we, goes, have, we have 30 goes... minutes. <laughs> Okay, cool, cool, cool. That sounds good. Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm right now. I'm, I'm, do, I'm one of the commentators for the World Feed for this Copa America Centenario. I'll be in, in doing commentary in Spanish, and I also do stuff with Miami FC. I do stuff with USL. Uh, I've done studying. You know, I've been doing some writing with Al Jazeera, with all types of uh, you know other outlets, the Guardian, you know, the Telegraph, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I could go on as far as who I've written for and what I've done. But uh, of course, you know, being part of uh, this podcast is pretty much in my top three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think a lot of people uh, uh, will agree with you to, uh, about that. Now, this this is the highlight of your life, Juan. Pretty much highlight of your life. Of course. <laughs> of course, since I was a little kid, that was my dream. <laughs> so Juan, uh, b- when we were talking before we started recording, you wanted to share something uh, uh, you learned about the, uh, the the upcoming U.S. game. So wh- why don't we start with that? Well, no, 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 actually, actually, it was about one of the pre- prior U.S. games, the, the, the story behind it. Okay. Uh, okay, well, I'm in, I'm in Orlando right now as I'm getting ready to, to do the commentary for tomorrow's match between Bolivia and Panama. And of course, one of the things I usually do to prepare is to go and you know to the press conferences and see what goes on as far as you know the coaches are concerned and um it, it was great to see Simon Evans at the at the Panama one. And he got some major kudos from from Menandario Gomez as far as how he was able to ask certain questions. But then who um, says Valdivieso comes in? He's very combative with the with the with the Bolivian media. They're, they they're you know jawing at each other. He, he's he's very passive aggressive. Really you know kind of smacking the, the the Bolivian media in the face whenever the Panamanians ask questions. He was very cordial, and the Bolivians he kind of told them pretty much to shut up and, and, and not bother him. Uh, refused to give the lineup. But there's a story behind all this. And it goes back dating to what happened with the U.S. Um, game against Bolivia a couple of weeks ago prior to, to the match against Colombia. And if there's one thing that has galvanized a, a combative Valdivieso with the Bolivian media, it's that match. Because he said something in today's press conference that was very telling. He's, he goes, you know what? That We should have never played that match. Hmm. 
we should have never played that match. We were forced to play this match. And it was, it was kind of, you know, because many in, in the media you know, that, that weren't involved with the Bolivian press started asking questions. Hey, what, are you, what is he talking about? What's going on? So what happens is the following. When Bolivia were getting ready to come to the United States, uh, they, they were find, found themselves in a conundrum. They really were forced to play against the United States. Why is that? Of course, everyone knows what's been going on with FIFA gate. Everybody has been very aware that one of the countries that have been affected the most by this whole FIFA gate scandal was Bolivia. Right. You know, their, their, their FA president is in jail. Their, all this other stuff that's going on is, you know, has been really affecting them. And, you know, the, the assets of the Federation were frozen, everything else that you want to deal with. They had to cancel a friendly against Nigeria last year. And the Nigerian FA, as well as the promoters, were about to sue the Federation for over a million dollars as far as the penalty was concerned. They didn't have the money. So what did they do? They say to the promoters, say, you know what? Why don't you just promote our matches from here on out so we can be able to kind of make things, you know, make amends? They accept it. One of the matches they had was against the U.S. prior to Copa Centenario. So what ends up happening is that the national team convenes in Cochabamba in Bolivia. Not the entire team is, is, is convened there. There's maybe a handful of players that get together and start training there. So a couple of days before the match against the U.S., they fly from Cochabamba to Miami. They stay in Miami overnight. They go from Miami to Dallas, and there's a delay. They have a layover. There's a three-and-a-half-hour delay as far as their flight is concerned. Finally, finally get on the plane. They head to Kansas City, and they get there late. And they already have the, the training site ready to go. The lights are on. Everything's good. They come in two-and-a-half hours late to practice. They start practicing about 40 minutes into their practice session. The bulbs in the lights blow out. <laughs> And keep in mind, uh, Juan, continue in a minute. Keep in yeah. mind, there was really bad weather in Kansas City. The MLS game the previous night, the Kansas mm-hmm. City DC United game, had been delayed several times. That was the Unimas mm-hmm. game uh, that day, and they ended up show, uh, it ended up being played at I think ten or eleven Central Time, local time, very very late. So they had bad weather, which is probably one of the reasons they couldn't get into Kansas City. Yeah, well, well, that was in part, yeah. And so there's there's a three and a half hour delay as far as their flight's concerned. They come in, and all of a sudden they start practicing forty minutes in. So. The U.S. pretty much played a team with only 40 minutes of practice. <laughs> Having flown pretty much three time zones in a span of 48 hours to get there, and then the following day they have to play the United States and then just absolutely get slaughtered. Yeah, well, yeah, that was that was a very poor performance. So it's actually interesting that you contextualize that way. I, I had no idea about any of this. Well, so. nobody did. That's the reason <laughs> why I started asking the Bolivian press, and they started saying, yeah, this and that and the other. Why do you think we can't? Well, that's the only thing we agreed on was actually what the journalist said to me. Mm-hmm. He's like, we've, we, and, and if you were at that press conference and, and guys like Simon Evans and others were there, they saw how combative the Bolivian press was with Valivieso. You know, he refused to give the lineup. He refused to give him any, he refused to pretty much answer any questions without having to go and, and, and kind of make some type of backhanded comment in, in the direction of, of the press. Say, you know what? If they want to sack me, fine, sack me. But you know what? I'm not going to extort my country. Mm-hmm. That was one of the comments he made. And he said, you know, that match against the U.S., we were forced to play it. We shouldn't have played it because there was going to be consequences, and there were. Oh, wow. Well, thanks for giving us that background information. Yeah, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty sad to, to hear that, that that's the reason they had to play. And, and, and I mean, mind, mind, you, mind you, that has nothing to do with the U.S. national team. They just, I of mean, course it, not. It could have been, it but been it, the U.S. But just like anybody else. Yeah, but we, we actually discussed on the podcast, Karthik, <laughs> we all did, about how poor Bolivia were that day. And uh, you know, it kind of gave gave us a 
false idea of how good the U.S. Women's National Team might have yeah, been. They so. made some assumptions about the United States and certain players based on that performance that uh, probably should not have been made yeah. because then we see them a couple nights later against Colombia. and uh, it's a the, different it, team. Yeah, different team, and and uh, the formation that the, that the manager played is an unfamiliar formation to the national team, with the exception of that game, right? right? He went in, and and so there, he you infer things from a game that was played under these circumstances, and then you wonder why you get run off the pitch in eight minutes against Colombia a couple nights later. Maybe it all makes sense now. I mean, I mean, I mean, the the one, and I spoke to a lot of Colombian journalists after that match and said Colombia played in second gear all game. Yeah, that, I think second yeah. is probably an overstatement, <laughs> if anything. Right. So. Well, um, I mean, yeah, the match I, was over after eight minutes. Yeah, it, it was, was. The U.S. Mm-hmm. didn't show up. They didn't turn yeah. up, so Colombia didn't have to come out of second gear. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and they dropped back, and, and Peckerman was saying, you know, that part was kind of the template of what they use. If, if, if you if you, you know, want to go back a little bit more, and I've used it a couple of times as far as an example is concerned, um, the match against Greece in, in the World Cup, their opener against Greece, you saw how they dropped back and just gave Greece the ball. Here. Take it. See what you can do with it. It's just a kind of a way to rest and, and be able to, you know, close off angles and really frustrate mm-hmm. Greece as far as, you know, I mean, nobody knows Greece as, as an attacking team and they're going to try and, and, and pass their way into situations you know, yeah. quite the opposite. And that's exactly what, what, what Peckerman had seen with, with, with the U.S. Although he did have a lot of complimentary, um, uh, you know, words towards the U.S. saying that, you know, he, they have very versatile players. Sure not playing in maybe the most appropriate positions. And, well, and, I wonder why that is. Second that motion. manager of the so, United States. But so I mean, gentlemen, have that discussion but you know what? I was, I was at, at Juan, the Juan, I'm going to step in here. So we're going to have you on tomorrow uh, to help us preview the U.S. men's national team t- game. So we'll talk more about this then. Yeah, yeah we, I mean, there was, was one important question. I just wanted to just jump in real quick that Peckerman had given the press on uh, prior, prior to the Haiti match and saying, you know what? Well, you know what we have to to do to really shut down the is cut everybody off from Bradley, cut everybody right. off from Bradley and try and avoid playing yep. the wings. Yep. We, we talked about that. Yeah. Basically that's what it seemed like. And once they uh, shut off Bradley via Baca and, uh, and Hamas, the game was over. So yeah, good points there. All right, guys, let's talk about the Jamaica versus Venezuela game. Uh, let's start with that one. Robert, I'll start with you. Uh, let's start with the stuff that happened before the game even started. The the declaration that Wes Morgan would not be starting because, uh, quote, <coughs> I'm going to paraphrase here, but he had been out partying pretty, uh, uh, pretty much uh, since since Leicester <laughs> won the league. So first of all, kind of um, embarrassing for the player, embarrassing for the coach, embarrassing for the country, really, uh, that this thing uh, manifested, and then having him have to come on as a sub about towards the end of the first half, it was just a shambles. Yeah. You know, this is a situation that really shouldn't have, have, it shouldn't have been this bad. I mean, (laughs) far be it for me to fault a guy for wanting to party, to celebrate a, you know, a a trophy, probably partied a little too much and there should have been consequences for that. But, you know, to to go out into the media and basically lay the blame on the player and say, well, you know, he's not going to be in this, be able to play because he's out and then all of a sudden you run into the situation where you're down to 10 men and you know you have to bring him on uh it just looked bad all around and honestly i mean they played better with him on the pitch yeah and i think that would look and that that's probably the most depressing thing if you're a reggae boys fan 
you know, you, you had him gone for 38 minutes. And, you know, how much of a difference would he have made in the beginning of this match if he would have been on the pitch? Um, shoot. Playing like that with him after partying that much, uh, maybe I should change my <laughs> lifestyle. But um, but I think that's the most disappointing thing is even after all of this controversy, manufactured or not, they put themselves in a hole early on by keeping him on the bench and then bringing him on. Yeah, Juan, uh, talk to me about the game itself because the way it played out, I, I thought that Jamaica started fairly well, especially with uh, crosses in the air and uh, they, they were they were definitely threatened from set pieces, threatened from uh, crosses, especially for the tw- first 20 minutes they actually hit the post. And then uh, the goal by Venezuela came kind of against the uh, run of play. And after that, Jamaica did not look like uh, they would score ever. Yeah, you're right. But but most of Venezuela's goals come uh, against the run of play. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's happened in last Copa America, the, the few times that they scored. Even in World Cup qualifying play, a lot of their play has not been something that developed due to consistent and, and really fluid play. It's been a counterattack or a cross into the area or a ball that's been won on on, on, on some type of three-on-two or, or, or four-on-three type of, of, of breakdown. That's been how Venezuela scores. That is their bread and butter. Why? Because they don't have the stability in the, as far as a collective team to really be able to organize themselves and, and play in a block and really play collectively. They have to drop back and play extremely defensive and hope that a counterattack works. That's the way they played. Jamaica we're very familiar with that because they played him in Montego Bay, pretty much the same nucleus of this team coming in over in Montego Bay just last year. And, and, and you did see a much different, a more dynamic Jamaican side that was running more, that you see some, some, some more spaces. I'm not, I'm not trying to claim I saw the entire game because at the same time I'm, I'm at the press conference. But what I did see were those uh, – was, was a Jamaica that really wasn't uh, more – more ambitious with the ball. You didn't see them being more more daring. You didn't see them really going out. And I'll give a lot of credit to Venezuela, who defensively can be very solid, but again, offensively, they're extremely limited. Yeah, Karthik, I think that's. I think Juan makes some good points there because it really was that that turnover that led to uh, the Josef uh, uh, Martinez goal. And after that, it really did look like Venezuela had decided that they were going to shut down shop. They they had one more chance uh, in the in the game. But overall, it, the game was pretty much over once the red card happened and the first goal happened. So should we be looking more at uh, the fact that Jamaica didn't create as much as we expected them to? Well, they, they were creating chances before the red card. I mean, they had created a great right. chance. It went off, mm-hmm. went off the crossbar. So uh, they certainly certainly created a chance. But, and by the way, Jamaica's played four Copa America games in their history. They've lost each All of four. the four yeah. 1-0. That's right. the scoreline. They've never given up more than more than a goal. So there's mm-hmm. that's something to be said because when the United States plays common the ball teams, they give up two, three, four <laughs> goals. Uh, so uh, just look at it that way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was disappointed by this though because I really thought this is a game Jamaica could win coming in. And yeah. again, the West Morgan thing, as Robert brings up, I mean, he is the captain of the Premier League winning club. Perhaps he partied a little too much. West Morgan, we've talked about this, Nafoon, and uh, yeah. articles have been written on, on our website, World, World Soccer Talk. He's played, he played every minute of the Premier League season. The first Leicester game was, uh, I, I believe, was uh, uh, seven days or something like that, eight days after the Gold Cup final. 
right. last year, where he played every minute of the Gold Cup, and he played every minute of the Copa America, and he had played virtually every minute of Leicester's run in the previous year where they escaped relegation. So he's gone uh, 18 months without a break in football and high-pressure games. They had to win all those games to get out of relegation. Uh, uh, besides Cambiasso, he was maybe the key figure in that. And right. then this season, he has to lead a team that has to win all these games to win a Premier League title. And he, in between, he leads Jamaica to the Gold Cup final, beating the United States in the process uh, and playing fairly well against Mexico with a couple of errors in there. Um, so I can kind of relate to him wanting to let go and release when they went to Thailand for a week or two. But still, um, I, I was surprised uh, Schaefer brought it out publicly. Right. And I think that kind of disrupted the team. So they start without him. Um, they, they attack. But there was there was something missing. I didn't think Giles Barnes had a very good game today. I didn't think Jermaine Taylor had a very good game uh, today. Uh, there there are a lot of guys uh, on this Jamaica team that are um, hit or miss players. Uh, there there are guys that and we and we see this in MLS. I mean, Darren Maddox is a guy that is either spectacular or you don't want him. You don't want him in your eighteen. And um, this was another example of that where. Um, Jamaica's players either look really uh, focused and 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 dialed in, or they're disinterested. And today was a game where I think they were interested until the red card, and then they were off the mark. And, and Kmar Lawrence is a player I've watched a lot of with the Red Bulls, but he was he was awful, and he ended up getting subbed off. Um, one last word on Jamaica: Andre Blake is a is a goalkeeper in progress, and we've mm-hmm. seen him kind of grow with, with with Philly Union, and he's having a a good MLS season this year. And he he's a guy that Jim Curtin didn't have a lot of confidence in coming into the season, and he won that job. But I saw him make a, a couple of mistakes today, right. uh, coming off his line too quickly, really not having control of his back four. And had uh, Venezuela not decided to sit, had they decided to test Jamaica's back four and Blake a little more, they could have gotten uh, another goal or two. And this might be uh, uh, something they regret because with the one goal, uh, uh, just the plus one in goal difference, they got the three points, but um, they, 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 they're going to, still have a hard time getting out of this group with three points. They've got Uruguay in their group, and they've got Mexico in their group. Right. So I think, uh, considering Jamaica was down to 10 men, they needed to get two or three goals in this game, and they didn't. Yeah. Robert. And, yeah, go ahead, Juan. No, no and also, going to, I mean, Winnie Schaefer is, 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 is just a no BS type of coach. I mean, and he's, he's sometimes overly, and overly honest. I had a chance to interview him a couple of months ago, and you know, he just tells you straight out, yeah, you know, why is Wes Morgan? Well, yeah, he was partying too much, you know. But then, I mean, as Cardick said, how can you not blame him for going to Thailand? I mean, that's what pretty much got Lester in that whole bonding thing leading to the to the title just last year. I mean, it was just the same thing that happened. So, I mean, if you start looking at, at that whole thing, yeah, you know, he, he needed some time to relax. I mean, hey, Cristiano Ronaldo got it. Why can't, you know, a, a guy is vital to his respective team not get that um, little, little bit of free time as well? Yeah, I think I'm, the referee would agree, by the way, that Winnie Schaefer is very honest to a fault. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, trust me. Trust me. He is extremely honest to a fault. It, 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 he's, he's like that with his players, too. So, I mean, they know exactly. I mean, he's, he's a straight shooter. He's going to tell them you know, in public as well as in private. I mean, he, he has no, no skeletons in his closet to hide. I mean, that, that's the way he treats his players, and the players totally respect it. Gentlemen, let's talk about the, the best game, I think, of the tournament so far. Robert, Mexico beating Uruguay 3-1. Uh, very entertaining game, very feisty game. 
uh, two red cards. I lost count of how many yellows. I, I, maybe one of you knows. I, it was at least six or seven yellows. Um, and I kind of want to describe this game as the game of two captains because you have a brilliant performance, I thought, even though they conceded three goals. Diego Godin was incredible today. And then Rafa Marquez, a player that I criticized a little bit for being a little slow for for pace, had another exceptional performance in that holding midfield role, scored uh, what realistically was the winner. I, I know he scored, there was a third goal, but uh, Marquez's goal basically decided the game. So game of two captains. Your thoughts, Robert? Yeah, you know, I think it, as a, a fan of the U.S. national team, it, Rafa Mar- Marquez is this the devil that you can't <laughs> get rid of. I mean, he's just such an easy guy to hate, for, and it's for the reasons you brought up. He's 37 years old. He should be retired from international football at this point if he were a normal human being. Um, but you saw him out on the pitch today um, playing well against really some world-class players and coming up with a big goal when it was needed. Um, and that's just what he does uh, when he doesn't, you know, end up getting sent off or doing stupid things. But um, in this match, I think he was really uh, a strong figure that really helped um, set the pace for a Mexico midfield that, especially in the first half, really dictated play and uh, put Uruguay on its back heel. Um, really impressed by the Mexico midfield in this first half. I thought they set the tone of this game early on. Um, if they would have kept it, it would have been a very different game. Uh, but if you go into Diego uh, Godin, again, came up big at the moment for um, for the the goal to tie it at 1-1, but then you also saw him kind of epitomize this team with his loss of composure, especially late in this game. And as the game went on, the screaming, the yelling, at a time when he should have been calming his team down and focusing more on stopping Mexico rather than uh, you know berating the assistants and the referee, uh, he was one of the leaders of that, and I think that that kind of showed that loss of composure that Uruguay had late in the game that uh, helped Mexico pull away with this one. Juan, I've, uh, I'm glad you're on today because I've wanted to ask this question because um, I've I've admitted I have definitely have a Euro bias when it comes to the football I watch. So when I watch mm-hmm. Uruguay Uruguay play, uh, mm-hmm. there's definitely a a sense of um, I don't want to use the word anti-football because there's, there's no such thing. I respect Uruguay as a team. They're the most successful team in the history of the Copa. Uh, but the way they go about their game under different managers and different times, there's definitely a combative side to them that can border that can border on uh, inappropriate and, and violent at times. And I think we saw some of that today. Some of the tackles were, were very poor and there could have been a couple of more red cards, really it's not that's not something that just happened today <laughs> i mean that sure. that's been happening for for over 70 years i mean uh i mean ju- just just on the foundation uh, i mean the, the principles of of uruguayan football at least from 1950 to now have been based on that combative style it's you know us against the world everybody hates us and in this Copa america they're giving them even more ammunition to have that belief they're the team that has to travel the most they're the team that just got screwed with their national anthem. They, they, I mean, they have every single bit of ammunition, of course, and not having Luis Suarez because of injury, that, that they really believe that the whole world is against them. And they are the country that would normally be seeded if you were doing a tournament like this, but then ended up in Mexico's uh, group and, and end up having to play Mexico basically in a hostile environment in the first game. So, yeah, yeah that's I mean, I mean for them, they, they love to play Mexico. They love to play Mexico in Miami. You know, they love to be able to play Mexico in not in Phoenix, though. <laughs> no, not in Phoenix. And, and they, they'd much rather probably play them at Azteca. I mean, they're just that type yeah. of team. 
they 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 are the you know they're they're that Ric Flair kind of guy from back <laughs> in the old days of wrestling that they, they thrived on people booing and, and really you know throwing stuff at you. I mean they get better, they get stronger. They're the heels, they, they're the woo heels. Yeah they're, yeah, they're 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 just the bad guys. They're the ones that really thrive on that. Uh, I mean I mean uh, it, it was it was very funny to hear because I, I was you know I was watching the Brazilian feed as well as listening to the Uruguayan commentary. And the commentator was like, you know what? Next time the U.S. comes down here, we're going to play the Iranian anthem, <laughs> like that. I mean, they they just they just went nuts. I mean, I mean, it's just you you give them just a little bit, and they're going to take it, and they're going to take yeah. it for a major ride. But but you know what? You can use all the emotion, all all the all the vitriol that you want in order to 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 get yourself motivated. Today it was the that central midfield that did Uruguayan, especially in the first half. That that first half was just utter crap for Uruguay and Mexico just dominated. They should have been able to score more. They should have been able to score a goal on their own instead of having Alvaro Pereira score the own goal. And, and that was a major problem as far as the marking. The spacing was not quite there. Alvaro Pereira was bad. Um, Arevalo Rios was bad. I mean, overall, you had to see some changes. And that's when you start talking about generational changes and to see who's going to start stepping into those roles. Yeah, so Karthik, I want to pick up on that previous point again. We'll come back to the personnel, and uh, I agree with what Juan said in terms of midfield issues. But do you feel that uh, things like that, the things having having that victim mentality, which is something we, we've talked about, especially with Chelsea, right? We've talked about this with Chelsea yeah. multiple times. We've talked about this with Mourinho teams. We've actually talked about this with Atletico Madrid too, and uh, Uruguay has their central defenders playing for, for Atletico Madrid, so there's a common factor there. Does that negative attitude in terms of us against the world all the time just breed this sort of madness and, and it comes back to bite you sometimes doesn't it yeah it does come back to bite you at times uh, and and we saw that uh, today and we've seen that with Chelsea under Mourinho multiple times we've seen it uh, with Simeone's teams when they get untimely red cards against Barca and against Real Madrid time and again. I mean, we saw it actually in, in the game at the, at, at the Camp Nou a, a couple months ago, right? Where right. Uh, they're up 1-0 and, and they get, they get uh, uh, double red cards. Then they play them a couple weeks later in the Champions League and they're up 1-0 again and Torres does something stupid, but it's that, it's that mentality, right? And, and you're, you're right. Uh, Godin obviously uh, is a central figure in both these uh both these setups, uh, although I, I mean personally, I, I think Simeone comes in for too much abuse in, in the Spanish press, right? I mean, they don't. They seem to think that uh, that uh, how dare Atleti play defensively against Barca? You're supposed to just stand back and watch Barcelona play, <laughs> right? You're supposed to just let them score. Uh, so I, I, I support Simeone and, and Atleti's approach, and we've we've had this conversation on the pod before. But for new listeners, I just want to point out that I am a fan of Simeone, and I am not a fan of Barcelona. Uh, just to, to, to clear up any misconceptions there so but yes this victim thing i think really fed after uh the sending off and then you know i i really feel like uh and, and i've seen uh chucky luzano have good games before but i thought he was really good in the central midfield for mexico today and, and obviously rafa marquez you can't say enough about him uh, guardado did not have one of his better games but uh lozano jimenez was was really good playing off of chicharito uh, and Chicha, chicharito i did not think we could see mexico control a game like this against a good opponent when both chicharito and guardado were not having good games 
particularly yeah. good games. Uh, but uh, as I said, Rafa Marquez was great. Uh, Lozano was great. Jimenez had a, had a really good game. I thought Herrera, you know, obviously he, he disrupted and caused the first goal, the own goal. But I thought he had one of his better games that I've seen against a good opponent. And, and I watch a lot of Mexico. I watch basically every Mexican game, Mexican national team game. So uh, I was... Uh, some of the the problems in Uruguay central midfield that that Juan alluded to, I think, were created by Mexican midfielders stepping up and Juan Carlos Osorio making this tactical decision, which he's ma- he made a few matches ago, to put Rafa Marquez, who did not have a particularly good season uh, this year in 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 uh, in the Mexican league in Liga MX, to uh, the central midfield holding calming type of role where. Um, he's your field general. He can pick his spots to go forward. He can, um, he could, uh, keep the shape in front of the back four. I think he does a lot of the stuff that Gerardo Torado did when Torado was playing that same role for Mexico in a, in a less flamboyant way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really Mm -hmm. like the way Marquez is playing for Mexico, not just in this game, but the last few friendlies and, uh, uh, what a Renaissance at 37. What a story. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's funny to hear. I mean, a lot of people t- talk about pace, 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 but really, me- very few talk about mental speed, and that's one thing that Ra- Rafa Marquez still has. He has the mental speed. He has the ability to read where he has to be. His pos- positioning in modern football is just as important, maybe even more so, than being able to run fast. Usain Bolt runs fast. Doesn't mean he's a footballer. And, and I think that that's where, where you start seeing players like Rafa Marquez still have a place in world football. But more importantly, it's also a problem that Mexico have because you still have to bring a 37-year-old into the mix while there's really nobody behind them starting to emerge and come up and, and really begin to assert themselves within the national team rotation. Well, that was What's going to happen? Because Torado, with Torado out of the picture and retired, uh, they didn't have anyone to fit that role. And as you know, Juan, uh, and, yeah. and uh, they went through several managers. Uh, Chepo de la Torre had this problem starting in 2011, and then his successors, Herrera, uh, etc., they couldn't find someone for that holding midfield role. And you would see it in these CONCACAF games that uh, the United States, Costa Rica, Honduras would attack Mexico, not on the flanks, but right down the middle, right down the gut. And, and um, exactly that's solved at least temporarily. Exactly, and that's that led to the to to the resurgence of Andres Guardado playing from from going over left back. And usually, when I when you speak to people that are involved in the Mexican media, they're they're always saying, "Why is Andres Guardado playing always on the left? He's more of a guy that you need to have more in the middle." And as soon as Herrera was able to bring him into the middle, then you started to see him become that general in the middle. Yeah. Is, is Gerardo Torrado being put in the mix, but but you know you you did make a good point there, Cardic. Uh, There's really no one that has followed through, and nobody's really been able to step into that role, and that's that's a pre- preoccupying situation for Mexico leading to the future. Right now, I mean, it, it can't be better. Yeah, Robert. So a lot of good points there. One thing I I'd like to pick on was uh, in even though Mexico won this game, and even though Uruguay went down a goal. The, Uruguay created tons of chances. I mean, if you think about that early chance that, that Cavani uh, should have put away, which he was played through beautifully with that pass uh, uh, on the right side. Uh, if he puts that away, if he uh, if a couple of breaks, one of the breaks in, involved Godin running, uh, intercepting a ball in midfield and driving forward and had that ball fall into Suarez, it would have been an equalizer. So had those goals gone in, it could have been a very different game. So 
uh, even with Adam Mo with a man down, Uruguay was terrific offensively. Yeah, I'll agree with that, especially in the second half when Mexico kind of took its foot off the pedal a little bit, and your way to just uh, the physical nature of their game just kind of uh, fit right into that. Uh, on the um, the first attempt, Talavera had a great save on that. Uh, you know, it was almost probably textbook uh, to save that chance by Cavani. So I, you know, it's one of those things. I, if I was coaching kids at the right age, I'd probably show them how that's how you stop a, <laughs> a guy coming in and try to score a goal on you. But, you know, I think a lot of it, part of it had to do with just what we see sometimes with Mexico, especially in the second half, is this mental aspect of the game. You know, it's, it's one of these things where it, uh, they check out at times. And I, you know, I'll defer to Juan and, and Kartik maybe to, to go a little bit more and then to have a little bit more experience watching the uh, Mexico national team. But you see this a lot, at least in, in my observation, in um, CONCACAF and qualifiers and things like that, where they'll just switch off. It'll be either because they have a lead or just they just don't want to play or, or whatever it is. They'll just switch off for a time. And Uruguay has the kind of setup where they can take advantage of that and they can press and they can play physical and they can get you know under, their, under your skin a little bit and create chances and they have the talent to – create good school scoring chances and that's what happened in this game and eventually what happened was you, you went 10 on 10 v 10 uh the goal happened right after that and um it seemed like mexico just turned it back on again you know they finally realized we're, we're tired of this this nonsense and we're gonna you know put this game away um kind of situation so um it, it's just something you seems like you see him from mexico every once in a while mm-hmm one yeah. one we are at a, a junction with Uruguay now because they are uh you know they're going to be bottom of the group uh they're going to have zero points and a negative goal difference of two a red card in the mix as well so they have to reset and they have to find a way to get points against Jamaica and Venezuela which on paper they should especially with Suarez coming back but there's definitely a sense from my perspective that uh they might need to is it even possible to say calm the calm down a little bit yeah yeah i mean i, mean, I don't i don't see why why they shouldn't uh, just that you start to look at who really needs to step up uh, i mean i mean you have to start looking at alevalo rios you have to start looking in the middle i mean as soon as tata gonzalez comes in and lodeiro comes off you see a little bit more dynamic uh, lodeiro for all the seattle sounder fans that are that are waiting for him to arrive this is the negative part of him sometimes he checks out of matches and checks out permanently and he really never showed up, and, and that's that's something that he's he's been notorious for at that ten role with the Uruguayan national team. Same thing for Gaston Ramirez. That's why you've never seen him really be able to assert himself in the middle, neither one. And that's been a major problem for Uruguay. Their play has really more generated from the wings, from from Christian Rodriguez, who's no longer on the team, to now Carlos Sanchez over on the right. That's what has really generated things. And maybe, you know, Luis Suarez, when he's in there, to try and create some pro uh, situations for Cavani and the like. But you have to start seeing other people outside of the usual players really looking to step in. Diego Roland had a great opportunity today and missed it completely wide. Right. So, I mean, you've got to start looking at other players to start checking in and really start taking responsibility for what they need to do. And, and then you can see a different Uruguay side. Whereas with Mexico, Karthik... They, this couldn't have gone better, except for, of course, the sending off. But they, they've got they've gotten over the toughest group in the game, uh, won the game, top of the group, and now uh, they probably need even two draws in their certainty to go through. And you would put money on them, even possibly winning out now. 
Yeah, it, it certainly is possible. I mean, they have had some difficulty with sides from the Caribbean. Uh, Trinidad and Tobago last year in the Gold Cup, uh, Stephen Hart's side gave them uh, an extremely difficult game. Kenwin Jones game against them and obviously they played Jamaica and beat them in the final but I think Jamaica had moments in that game uh, in the Gold Cup final they beat them three to one and then uh, uh, Miguel Herrera the whole issue after the match uh, at Philly Airport that took place but I, I think they are the favorites now to, to win this group and to win out uh, nine points would, would set quite a uh, mark they are also in a position where they can draw one of those two games and the maximum points Uruguay right. can get is six so if they happen to draw against Venezuela or happen to draw against Jamaica mm-hmm. they are they're in uh, in pretty good shape now I do have to say speaking of Kenwin Jones I brought that up uh, for a reason and the reason I brought that up is so, uh, Solomon Rondon who we talked a lot about on the show when we were covering the European season uh, at West Brom uh, the, the season he had for Tony Pulis uh, in, in England is the same sort of striker as Kenwin Jones mm-hmm. and Kenwin Jones now uh, of course that was a Herrera team not an Osorio team but we saw that physical big kind of target striker who has pace which which describes Rondon can get behind the Mexican defense and cause problems uh, I didn't think Layun was particularly good today I didn't think Hector Moreno was particularly good today I when I talk about how good Mexico was earlier I, I was speaking specifically of their central midfielders mm-hmm. I'm not sure that back four did a whole lot to assure me today. Now, they've got yeah. Rafa Marquez shielding them, and he reads the game very well. But I think Rondon is a striker you need to be concerned about if you're a Mexican fan. And then, obviously, on Jamaica, they had any number of guys that can influence uh, a, a match uh, up front. Giles Barnes could, could not possibly play again as poorly as he did today. So um, there's still some challenges ahead, but they are the favorites to, to win out and, and get nine points. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's funny now. Because before the tournament, and you start seeing what Tavares was was talking about, uh, okay, they played in in Phoenix. Now they head to Philly to play Venezuela, and then they go back to California to play the third match. Now Uruguay ends up in second place. Guess where they have to play their quarterfinal match now? Rhetorical. Go on. Boston. Okay. Yeah. So that's more travel for them. Yep, that's that's going to just feed the victim thing more and more. And more. Uh, exactly, exactly. And then they end up playing whoever ends up in first place in the Argentina group. It could be Argentina, it could be Chile. We'll see what what happens in that particular match tomorrow. Gentlemen, let's talk about tomorrow. Let's talk about the previews here. Uh, let's start with uh, the first game: Panama versus Bolivia. Robert, come to you. Uh, actually, all I have to ask is Panama slight favorites here. It's going to be an even game. It's probably going to be uh, not a very entertaining game. Uh, your thoughts on this uh, upcoming battle? Yeah, I think it's great that Juan brought in some of the perspective on the, the Bolivian, Bolivian team, team yeah. and, and what they went through because I think you were right as we talked about at the beginning. There's this perception of Bolivia being utter rubbish. Um, that being said, I do think Panama, I agree with you, is a slight favorite. Um, for those of us who watch CONCACAF uh, a lot, we've seen some good things from the Panama side. There's some talent on this team uh, enough to, to cause some trouble. Um you know, will they score enough goals? Uh, you know, I don't know. They, they have some problems with that at times. Um, but against uh, Bolivia, I think they, they're going to be good enough probably to eke out a goal here and, and take three points. 
want anything to add to that? Okay, guys, so let me just Sorry, remind yeah. uh, everybody of the, the stat I threw out there when we previewed this group. Panama mm-hmm. has been to the semifinals or better of five of the last six tournaments they played on American soil. So even though they never qualify for the World Cup, they do very well in yes, summer tournaments tournament, in the yeah. U.S. They're much better in the Gold Cup than Honduras or Costa Rica are, who do regularly qualify for World Cups. So uh, they are a sleeper to get out of a group and, and do some damage in this tournament, just based on their history in, in tournaments in the United States. Well said. Juan, let's, let's talk about the, the big game tomorrow. Argentina versus Chile. Uh, Argentina are out to avenge last year's final, even though they did win that World Cup qualifier in March. So, uh, we know that Messi trained alone and probably, actually, you, you tweeted that he definitely, no, he's not playing. Tomorrow. Yeah, he's not playing he's not tomorrow. Playing. Uh, and, so, I, and Arturo Vidal might not play for Chile either. Oh, I didn't know that. That, that's big news. They, they, they really do rely on him a lot. So, uh, I guess the question for me is, in some ways, it's the strongest attack in the tournament versus the strongest defense in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who are you referring to as the strongest uh, defense? <laughs> Chile? Uh, yeah, I think Chile has a strong defense. Um, yeah, I guess they would. The big problem... They have a great goalkeeper. They, they have a great, yeah, they have a great goalkeeper. But here's the thing. I mean, I mean, you have to look at at one player, and I, I always mention it when I'm, and I never mention Alexis Sanchez. I never mention Arturo Vidal. I never mention uh, Charles Arangis. I mention Marcelo Diaz. Mm-hmm. Marcelo Diaz is the general in the middle of the pitch for Chile. You know, he's able to destroy. He's able to create. He's able to be really that balance from from totally frenetic and and, and being a strong defensive high pressure team. He's the one that offers that balance and the confidence for everyone else to really do their scrambling. That's going to be an interesting thing. My problem with Chile is out on the wings. Is it going to be Jean Vucejur? It's going to be. Um, it's going to be. It's going to definitely be Mauricio Isla over on the right. But you know, who are we going to start seeing playing over on on the left? Is it going to be Eugenio Mena? Is it going to be Jean Vucejur? Last year in Copa America, we saw a lot of rotation over on the left. Also, you do see a different coach in Juan Antonio Pizzi. Not too far off from what Sampaoli was doing, but maybe a little less um, risque, a little, maybe a little less uh, aggressive compared to, to what uh, Sampaoli was able to do. Uh, the big question mark, you don't have Matias Fernandez. You don't have those types of players. You don't have Valdivia, who did not get called up by, by uh, Pizzi. You know, who are you going to have in the middle to really create? I mean, you don't have Arturo Vidal really is not that number 10 creator. He drops back a little bit more and, and he mm-hmm. gives you a little bit more lungs in the middle of the yeah, pitch. Yeah, more box to box, right? Yeah. Exactly. He does give you that. Who's going to be that creator for Chile? And is it going to have to be uh, an effort by Alexis Sanchez to drop back? You know, you you know, Edu Vargas is also not there. I mean, you do have a lot of missing pieces to that Copa America winning side, but yet want to start seeing players like Edson Puch, like Enzo Rocco on defense. You want to see, uh, you know, those types of players be able to step up. And, of course, you have a, uh, one of the oldest teams in this Copa America tournament in Chile. So, I mean, you know, is, is it going to still be the same dynamic? Are you going to still have the same type of team that is going to create opportunities like they did during that whole World Cup and also in, in last year's Copa America? I don't know. Karthik, Argentina, definitely for me, as we've talked about, one of the strongest teams in this uh in this entire competition, mm-hmm. uh, but we have talked about some of the, some of the, some of the issues they have. What we cannot deny is, even in spite of m- missing Messi, they have some incredible players on that team. Uh, in particular, Di Maria, uh, Javier Pastor, 
Uh, no, I, I mean, yeah, but, but, but many people are even questioning why Javier Pastore is on the team. There are many are even questioning why, why Ezekiel Avetsi is on the team. They're Based saying, on you know, the club, club yeah, performance. But, there, but there are a lot of... But right now, you, you talk to people in the Argentine media and they say Lavetsi's there because he makes Messi laugh. Well, but there are a lot of... Pl- I mean, the, I think the, that's... Are these the same people in the Argentine media who used to question Metz, Messi? Uh, because right. he would win trophies for Barcelona, but he wouldn't win trophies for Argentina. Yeah. I mean, oh, I mean that, 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 that you, have, you have a little bit of both. I, I mean, but, but Lavetsi, their big problem is, you know, when was his last truly competitive match? You know, his his you know he didn't leave PSG, you know, because you know he was scoring just as many goals as Zlatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> right, right, okay. right. You know, I mean, he That's didn't true. he didn't go to China because he was kicking ass. You know, like Zlatan. You know, he went because he got more money. And they're like, dude, he's playing in China. You know, let, let, let's let's be honest. China is not, you know, Paris Saint Germain. But you know, China is not Italy. You know, he he's not the same goal scorer he was at Napoli. Let let mm-hmm. let's not kid ourselves. And, and on top of that, there's other external things. The whole issue that's going on with AFA is such a crushing right. issue right now. Yeah, we for, talked for, about right. talked to Sam Kelly Kelly about that yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I mean, in, in everything that else that's coming out that that really hasn't been mentioned, you know, all the other stuff that, that that's coming out as as far as as far as the TV rights are concerned, as far as um, you know who who's in and who's out, as far as the Super League is concerned. I mean, that, that takes a toll on a team. It does, those those external issues, and we've seen that influence teams before, but uh, we spent uh, Nipun a a lot of time, and Robert was part of some of these shows, uh, previewing the Euros and talking about hot goal scorers, guys who are in form coming into the Euros, where the one guy we didn't mention who was in form in Europe scoring goals for fun because he's not in the Euros, he's in this tournament, is Higuain. And I, Mm -hmm. I just... The way Iguain has been playing at Napoli, I I just think he's going to pick up uh, where he left off this summer. Chile does have a good defense, and mm-hmm. Mario Bravo is one of the three or four best goalkeepers in the world, in my opinion. I, I'd lo- love to get Gabe's opinion on that because he's <laughs> our goalkeeper expert. But mm-hmm. I, I'd put Bravo in that top top four or five. Um, but my problem with my problem with Iguain is the following: Who's going to give him the ball? Well, Even that's area? that's what I was going to get to. Uh, the, no, the, I, I don't know. Story you know, is not. Story is. And yeah. Angel Di Maria is not a distributor, so actually he's playing as a forward right now. Right, right, right. So you, I mean, you I got... mean, last last week, or actually, uh, excuse me. yeah, well, last week, uh, Tata Martino was trying both Cunagüero and Iguain in one of the practices, both on at the same time. And now with no Messi, what's the plan? Yeah, so if there's no Messi in the team, uh, uh, what what are you going to do to distribute? We saw at times. This season at Spurs, Lamella cut inside and set up uh, Harry Kane, right, uh, Nipun? Mm-hmm. We saw that mm-hmm. yep. uh, uh, every now and then, but not consistently enough to think Lamella's going to be that guy. So uh, at Pastore did not do that this season at uh, PSG. So that's a very good question, Juan. I, I can't answer that. Yeah, with I know, and, and that's and that's the problem right now. I mean, I mean, you start seeing, uh, you know, Martino look at it, uh, at Augusto Fernandez, who had a, a absolutely crappy Champions League final. Is one of the options. You know, are you going to have Ever Banega be 100? percent You know, what's going to happen with him? Um, I mean, th- those types of things are really the big question marks. You know, Matias Canavita. You know, he has he's had barely. You know, he doesn't even know where he's going to be next year as far as as far as Atleti's concerned. So I mean, you know, and and if there's somebody that's you know that, that Argentines are more disappointed in than Messi, it's Gonzalo Higuain. Because, you know, I mean, at the national team level, he's been able to score the third and fourth goal. But, boy, when they need him to score the big goals in the big games, 
he tends to piss in his pants. Is this a situation where you know you miss a Gago a little bit in that midfield? No, Gago is not the same player he used to be. I mean, I mean, Gago, Gago thinks a dirty thought and he pulls a muscle. I mean, that, that's that's how, how he gets right. And Gago's out for seven months. I mean, I mean, there's no way he were they were going to put him in. You know, he tore his right, Achilles right. tendon just a month and a half ago. So I mean, I mean, that's that's but, not but, even. But, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I know he's injured. That's why he's not in yeah. the team. Yeah, but exactly. Do you think he? Do you think they're really they're going to miss him because they don't have someone who can consistently do what he can do? Although you're right, that we're a couple of years past that. I'm thinking of Gago three, four yeah. years ago. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. That that one, that's a different story. But the one right now, 2015, 2016, no, 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 not, not being missed whatsoever. Although he, if there is a player that associated best with Messi, it was him. And, and that that's the reason why they kept bringing him in. And that's the big question mark when you start seeing and changing positions a little bit. When you see a player like Lavezzi go in and not Dybala, then you're like, wait a second. You know, I mean, this is the guy that makes some really good mates. That's what everybody says in the Argentine press. He's the practical joker. You know, he's probably a good MC if we win the title. But to, to, to <laughs> yeah. trust him, you know, and it, may, it could be a little bit unfair. Because, I mean, he was one of those players in that final that really kind of put a little bit of an effort there, especially in that final player where Iguain misses. But, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of uncertainty as far as Argentina is concerned. And they have the absolute obligation to win this tournament. I mean, hell, it was their former president that created this whole Copa America Centenario thing. Right. In spite of all the issues we see with Argentina, I think tomorrow's game will be a good one. And I still think Argentina will be favorites. When we come back tomorrow around this time, we will review the Panama-Bolivia uh, as well as the Argentina-Chile game, as well as preview uh, the games that we a lot of our listeners will be interested in. One would be USA-Costa Rica, as well as the Colombia-Paraguay game. So in order to do that tomorrow, I'll be joined by Juan and Chris Henaj and, uh, and Sam Kelly. So uh, on behalf of everyone at World Soccer Talk, Myself, Nipun Chopra, Robert Hay, and Juan Arango. Karthik? Unless you're Uruguayan tonight, you're enjoying your football. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.